I think church, unfortunately, has become entertainment. And how do you speak? And do you speak something new? And it's just kind of become a machine worldwide. Um, and sometimes we can forget the exhortation that Donovan gave us. I'm here, I walk in the door as a butler, as a servant, as a, I'm on duty. And a lot of times, if I'm not the person, Sam, you aren't giving the announcements today. So I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying sometimes there can be the, oh, I'm not downstairs with the kids. I'm not giving the announcements. Oh, I'm off duty. No, you aren't. And for people who don't typically have a serving role, you're still not off the hook. We're all on duty. Because this is just one other place where we're serving the Lord. And a concern can be, if we aren't on duty here, are we on duty when we're at work? Are we on duty when I'm driving in traffic and somebody cuts me off? There's so many different places where no matter where we go, we're a servant of him and we have a Lord. Lordship is costly. And if I name Jesus as Lord, he expects me to do it, to be the servant and let him be the Lord. And so, um, so all I'm saying is there is a call to duty. All the time, because it matters. It matters what we do. It matters how we relate to the Lord. And it pretty much defines whether I'm a religious person or whether I'm in relationship. There's many, many born-again people that will go to heaven, that believe Jesus died for their sins and have accepted him as Lord and Savior, who will see in heaven but it doesn't mean they're necessarily on duty. It doesn't mean necessarily that in their daily walk, there is a, here I am, Lord, use me. What are you saying today? And unfortunately, what happens is sometimes when we come to crisis point, relationship or religion gets exposed. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, we're going to be talking about tests. The title of today is Tests. And I, I was not a great student because I like doing other stuff. But often we come through the schooling system and the idea or the word of test has a bad connotation. And so I hope to remove that today. Um, but just by way of a little bit of introduction, everything is always fine and perfect until something happens. The situation, the thing that's unexpected, the bad news, the whatever. 
when that thing happens, you find out where you're really at. And sometimes we find out, I'm not doing as well as I would have thought I would have done. But as long as everything's perfect, we never know where we're really at. I used to coach lacrosse for a, a number of years. And we could look great in practice. But you know what? It wasn't until game day that we really found out where we were really at. And game day, you find out, oh, these guys haven't been listening, oh, they, you know. So, um, we're going to be considering God's mercy and the way he brings us along, what God tests, how he tests. Um, but I want to bring the whole picture into view because last week, we had a prophetic introduction to our message. Last week, our message was on the tongue, what we speak. And prior to the message, a person stood up and said, by way of prophetic exhortation, hey, God is calling us to lay down our ways, lay aside ways and pick up new ways. That's essential. That's essential to walking with God. You cannot come with all your hands full of your stuff and try to pick up his stuff too. And then a second person last week stood up and targeted the tongue. You're going to have to put away your ways, lay aside your ways so that you might take up God's ways. And those ways center on the tongue. Now, this person who stood up last week did not know I was teaching on the tongue. He did not know I was teaching on words, how we speak. And so I think that's significant. I don't want to forget the times where God uses people to kind of prepare the way. And then the same thing happened today. Hannah stood up and once again reminded us by way of exhortation, hey guys, we're going to have to lay aside our ways. You're going to have to pick up different ways. Some of your ways you cannot keep. And I can tell you as someone who speaks, there's this sometimes a reluctance to say the same thing twice. And so to me, it's significant when somebody stands up and says the same thing twice, like, you will, we don't have an excuse for not hearing this, for not approaching this meeting as, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Show me things I need to lay aside. Show me not just things, but ways, the ways I do things, the way I think about things. And then our brother Donovan stood up and answered the bell by once again hitting right on the nose something I'm going to be talking about, which is this idea of who are you a servant to? And the issue with words isn't the words you say, whether they're positive or negative. The issue with our words is whether they're of faith. So I want to thank the Lord, and I want to thank the willingness of people in our midst to stand up and say things that God is giving them even if it requires waiting a bit. So now, just by a brief, very brief reminder of a couple of very important things we covered last week, 
so that we might keep them in view, keep them in mind. Because I really think God is after something. He wants to do something. But sometimes when we hear these words, God is going to, sometimes we forget that I have a part in that. God is going to offer you a different way. You have to pick it up. God is going to show you something, but it will be your responsibility to take it, to believe it. So there isn't, in, in biblical Christianity, there isn't this thing of God just does stuff and I just, I'm just the bystander. We are very much participants and our participation is required. And the progress will be evident first to you, then to your family, then to those around you. Everybody wants a big dynamic ministry, but you know what? Those things are birthed in hidden places. The hidden places of our home, the hidden places of our heart, where we're uh, the hidden relationship we have the Lord, that's where everything happens. So uh, I hear a number of people saying, we want to see the Lord move like he did. You know what? He already is. This morning is a little example. Do not ever despise the little things because we don't really know what the little things are. We don't have the proper gauge to know, oh, that was just a little thing. That was just a little word. You know what? In my life, some of the littlest things have been the most life-changing. So we are made in God's image. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And God speaks. He does everything he does by speaking. And we uniquely, of all the creatures on the earth, we speak. We speak language. We don't just bark when somebody's at the door. We don't just meow when we're hungry. That's not speaking. We speak language, we convey thoughts, we have philosophies, we can talk about abstractions and dreams and articulate it. We are made in God's image and what we say matters, not because we just wanna be people who say positive things. What we say matters because we're either speaking truth or we are not. We're either representing God by the way we speak, the messages, the conversations we have, or we are representing this place and normal daily life. But last week we considered Jesus said, it's not the fact that you eat food with unwashed hands that makes you sick. What makes you sick is what comes out of your mouth, not what goes in. Pretty shocking, isn't it? What makes you sick? Physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, what makes you sick are the things that come out of your mouth because what comes out of your mouth, Jesus said, comes out of your heart. That's where the crimes come from, the murders come from, the adulteries come from, the sinning comes from. The things that pollute your life come out of your mouth. James, in chapter 3, writes this. Your mouth is like a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship. 
it directs you where you go. So where, where are you today? In so many cases, you put yourself there. You drove yourself there. Now, I'm not talking about the circumstances and situations that you can't control, but how you respond to them, how I respond to them. That's the salient matter. That's the thing that's critical. What do I do when the unexpected happens? How do I conduct myself on a daily life, on a daily basis, uh, in daily life? When, uh, when, when I was a boy, my father was in the military and he was stationed two different times at a military base in Aberdeen, Maryland. And Aberdeen, Maryland is called the Proving Ground. At the Proving Ground, they test tanks, they test missiles, they do basic training for people. They have a tank course in which they find out how, how fast can the tanks really go, what kind of terrain can they handle, how fast can they go on rough terrain. My brother actually worked for a fencing company that put up chain link fence around the tank course while the tank course was running, and he said it was amazing. The tanks were just flying 30 miles an hour on gravel trails going airborne and landing, and just, he said it was amazing just to watch. A proving ground is a testing ground. It's a putting the thing to heat. And that's what God does. Can we have the uh, passage in, um, I wrote it here, Proverbs chapter 30 first, and then Genesis chapter 22. Every word of God is fire-tested. That's the word, that's what the word really means, is tested by reality. Every word of God is tested. And that's a good thing. God wants you to know what I've given you. And let, let me take one step back. When I say every word of God, I don't mean the and and. I mean every pocket of truth, every bucket of idea, every message. What we're talking about this morning is a message. Despite anything I say that's Alan, the Alan part of me, the scriptural God part of this message will be tested so that you find out what you were given is reliable. What I've given you is trustworthy. It'll keep you safe. Can we have the uh, verse in Genesis 22 now? It came about after these things in Genesis 22 that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Okay, that's all I want to say. I just want to point out God's word is always tested because he wants us to know it's reliable. It's, it is a shield to you. It is a sword. It is a practical, relevant provision for 2022. And if he doesn't allow situations to come so that you can find that out, it'll just go in your store of religious knowledge back on the shelf, the library of your mind. And God wants, he doesn't want valuable weapons, valuable provisions valuable light sitting on a shelf. 
He wants you to find out what I've given you is in time and effective, practical, relevant. And God tests men. God tested Abraham. He called to him. And God tests today. It's not the pass-fail test, not the gavel on the counter, zonk, you failed. Instead, it's the proving of, the showing you, oh, you didn't listen this week. I gave you what you needed and you weren't listening. Oh, thank you, Lord, I see. Now I'll pick back up that thing. I'll pick back up that truth that I ignored. It's not the, con it's not the condemning final judgment of you failed this, you go no further, but rather the prodding, the putting things to heat so that you might find out, oh, I'm not where I thought I was. I wasn't listening perfectly. Or you might find out, thank you, Lord, you gave me what I needed. This word about what I speak is going to be tested this week. And you will find out whether you listened, whether you didn't listen. You will find out my gosh, my tongue is a rudder. My tongue is a bit. I took myself right into that thing. Or I took myself right out of it. Hallelujah. But the proving ground is your daily life, your family. I'm married. I can say it. My wife says things that she intends to be helpful. And in 99.9% .9 of the time, they are spot on. Actually, this isn't about my wife. It's about my wife can say something purely innocent and intending to be helpful or remind me, but God is dealing with me. And so he wants to deal with a little burr on my edge. And so my wife can say something and I can be like, oh, why is she always... And then I can find out, listen to what I just said. Why does she always? Am I holding something against my wife? Always. Why does she always? And it can be, a, it can be the light, that little proving, that little bit of heat. And God treats all of us differently. So I can find that becoming just my daily life, my life with the wife I love can expose burrs on me not problems with her. What do you do, Alan, saith the Lord, when your wife nudges you when you don't want to be nudged? Hey, remember you're going to change that car motor? Everybody knows that's ridiculous. I'm not a car guy. <laughs> and I can be like, why is she always... Well, listen to that. That's not a her problem. That's a me problem, and God is putting something to the, to the heat that he wants eliminated because it's a problem for me. And out of his love, he's like, hey, this isn't beneficial for you to carry around. So let me shine a light on it. But if we don't know that God tests, if we don't know that he's given us the answer before the test, then we can live our lives out of context. 
I cannot know what's coming this week because I'm just thinking life is willy-nilly and everything is happenstance. I love Mike Tomlin, the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, is known for the way he speaks. He's very articulate. He's very colorful. And he uses very interesting word choices. And one of the things he said this week in finishing up the minicamp for his players is he said, I am giving you the answers before the test. That is good leadership. I am showing you where the bright lines are. And that's what God does because he is the ultimate best leader. He gives us the answers ahead of time. And it's up to us to, to recognize, oh, I'm not staying in the lines. Some of my shipwrecks, some of my banging, some of the dings in the car of my life, so to speak. Some of the dings are my own doing, not understanding God's ways, not understanding that there, I can't keep some of my ways and still continue and do well. Um, if we could turn, could I have the passage in Numbers chapter 13? I'm going to read a little bit today. So bear with me, but listen to the story because it's relevant today. In Numbers chapter 13, starting to read in verse 1, we're going to skip around from throughout Numbers 13 and then on to Numbers 14. So uh, bear with me. I'll read the, the account, the historical account, and then we'll talk about its relevance to today. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You all know the promised land, correct? God took the children of Israel out of Egypt where they were slaves and said, I have a land I want to give you and bring you into. It's called the promised land. That's what he's referring to in Canaan. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. So that's 12 men, 12 tribes of Israel. One leader from each of those tribes is going to go in and spy out the land that God is giving them to see what it's like. Now, jumping ahead, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. The fruit of the land was so large, they had one cluster of grapes that was, grapes that was so large, they carried it between a, a pole, between two men, as just evidence of, boy, this land is fruitful. Thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit, the grapes. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Basically, what he's saying is there are a lot of vicious, fierce people, and some of them are quite large, the sons of Anak. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, 
we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. That's a million people. A million people weeping and crying. All the sins of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. God showed up. So later... After Moses said, forgive this people for their grumbling, forgive this, you know, this people, they don't know what they're doing. So the Lord said to Moses, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, says the Lord, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not listened to my voice shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. So hopefully, you, hopefully the story, uh, the account, I, when I say story, I mean account. I don't mean make-believe Hopefully this historical account is familiar to some, but if, if it's not, in essence what just happened was 10 of the men who came back said, the people are too strong, we can't go take the land. Two, Joshua and Caleb said, we should by all means go up and take the land. God was listening, and he said to all this people, why? Because all the people... We're in agreement. Let's go back to Egypt. Many of the people were in favor of stoning Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb. And these are historical godly leaders. And God heard what they said. It mattered. Ten of the 12 spies gave a bad report 
Two of them gave a good report, and God said, those are the only two that will enter into the land. The ten spies actually died very quickly, but the whole congregation wandered in the wilderness for 40 days until that whole generation died, and to their children, he gave the land. But when God said, Caleb followed me fully, it was because of what Caleb said. What Caleb said was indicative of what he believed. The other 10 believed despite seeing the parting of the Red Sea. You and I have only seen it on TV. They were there. They saw miraculous provision. They saw miraculous vi uh, victories. And still in their heart, they thought, God is going to let me down. Only Joshua and Caleb followed the Lord fully by the report they gave. They said, because the issue is God said, I'm giving you this land. And that's what they left out. Um, could we have the verse in Joshua chapter 1, please? Just by a little bit of indication... Joshua became the leader after Moses died, and the Lord spoke to him and said to him, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? I'm going to give you this land. I'm taking you and this next generation of people back into that same land you visited before. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Next verse. I thought I gave you a couple of verses there. If, uh, if, if we don't find it quickly, um, what I will say is Frank spoke it last week. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, Moses, uh, Joshua. By this you will wait, make your way successful. By this way you will prosper. So this is the Lord speaking to Joshua, and it's what Joshua did all the time anyway, but it establishes a way of God. This book of the law, this volume of God's word shall not depart from your mouth, not just your heart. It has to be in your heart, but it has to come out of your mouth. Now, this is relevant for a number of reasons. Were there really giants in the land? Yes. Were there fierce people and fierce nations, very warlike people and strong cities? Yes. So that is true, right? But it is not truth. There is a difference, and we have to come to grips with this. There is a difference in our life between true and truth. True, there are giants in the land. But if you leave God out, it is incomplete and you cannot call it truth. Anytime you leave out God, you've, you've left out the essential part. What is truth? There are giants in the land and God is giving us the land. So Caleb concluded, they're going to be our prey, I guess. The parallel is written for us. This passage in Numbers is written for our example because sometimes we think there's no enemies in the promised land. They were promised a land flowing with milk and honey, and that's what they got. 
What they didn't know is their enemies in the land. And the same for us. We come to Jesus and we're going to go to heaven and everything's going to be better. But guess what? There's enemies. There's still giants in the land. There's things that don't want you taking milk and honey. And so then we find out, oh, I've got to fight. There's opposition. This Christian walk, and you hear, I hear people say it, this Christian walk is hard. And I said, it is not hard. It's impossible. It's not just hard. There's things in our life that require miracle, that require answered prayer, that require the impossible. And Jesus has said things to us, and the Word of God contains promises that are wonderful. Just like the children of Israel heard, I'm giving you a land flowing with milk and honey. But it's good for us to know there are also giants in the land. There are also times where I'm going to have to sometimes take something. It's not just going to fall in my lap. And in our case, we know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Not all of our situations are just situations. And so we are constantly faced with God listening. Do you remember why life and death are in the power of your words? Remember we talked about that last week? Because our words, it's not because our words are magic. Life and death are in the power of our words because our words announce our choice. The 10 spies repeatedly announced that they have rejected and spurned God. Only two, by their words, said, we choose God. Giants, no giants, we should by all means go in and take it. So you and I are regularly faced with true versus truth. And if we leave God out of the equation, we judge wrongly and we don't get the benefit of him acting on our behalf. He acts on behalf of faith. He acts on behalf of when we choose him. So I might say something like this. Just, I'm just giving an example. I'm not complaining. I'm just giving a visual or an auditory example. My situation is crappy. That might be true. But it is not truth. Here's truth. My situation is crappy, but my God is awesome. And he, he said he will cause all things to work together for good to those who love him. So, Heavenly Father, I'm just thanking you that even though my situation is crappy, I love you, and I'm thankful to belong to you. That is truth. That is a situation being addressed. And Frank mentioned it last week. Our words are seeds. You grow what you grow by what you plant with your mouth. Going back to my earlier situation, that, uh, the example I used, my wife always. What do you mean always? You mean you have a list? You mean you haven't forgiven? You haven't crossed anything off? You mean your list about your wife is compiling? So you're walking in unforgiveness. No wonder the burden of every added word she says is just another piece on the burden that I refuse to let go of. The complaint about my wife or my husband. But some of the most damaging things are the things we say about us. I always. What do you mean you always? 
Ever since I'm little, I've always been. When were you born again? When I was 20. Well, when you were 20, you became brand new, so you cannot say, I always have been. At age 20, when you're born again, something happened. You became a new creation. Are you still holding on to things? Because what you let in, God won't forbid. My. And then fill in the blank. My condition. My memory. My body. My knee. My allergy. My job. My boss. My whatever it might be, whatever it is that you are wanting to own. Do you want to own that? Especially when it's not a complete truth. I'm not saying just say positive words. I'm saying I'm having trouble with my knee right now, but I'm so thankful that God said he renews my youth like the eagle and his spirit gives life to my mortal body and Jesus took stripes on my back for my physical healing. That's the complete truth. My anxiety, my fear, my, my. These are ownership words. Hopefully you understand it. And the issue is not that you say it. The issue is that you believe it. Wow. The issue is that it's, that's your truth. Another truth about Jesus has not replaced that yet. So that is still a well-worn trail in your mind. The truth, what I call truth, is the issue, not just the positive things you say to color up, you know, to add good color to everything. It all comes back to truth and light. What truth and light have you received? And maybe sometimes I wonder, how long could you talk to me about Jesus? I've, I've seen how long some people can talk about Jesus, and sometimes it's not very long because there's more to be seen. He's done more than we know. He's larger than maybe we've encountered to date. So there's more to press in. There's more to take hold of. Can you see why the Lord might exhort us two weeks in a row? You're going to have to lay some ways down. It's not about just saying positive things. It's about believing the truth. And isn't that what God's after? He's always after, you didn't believe me when I gave you evidence. I've shown you. Jesus said repeatedly, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. And that's a language thing. I will not fear because you speak it to yourself. Instead, what often happens is people entertain their illegal conditions, the oppressions, and it becomes my oppression. And Jesus didn't die for you to give you oppression. He died for us to lift oppression, and he's a miracle worker. So sometimes the scripture comes along with that as our context. Do you understand true versus truth? True, you might have a crappy situation. But that's not the whole truth because you've left God out of it. So your ministry, and this is one thing, your first ministry is always to you. You minister to you more than I ever do. 
you minister to you more than anybody else because you talk to you all the time. So the scripture gives us instructions, verbal instructions, things like this. Rejoy yourself. Rejoice. What do you think rejoice? Rejoice means rejoy yourself. Direct yourself back into joy. Your mouth is like a bit in a horse's mouth. Your mouth is like the rudder on a boat. You can sit in your mud puddle or you can rejoy yourself. It's both, both are your choice. We live by cer certain aspects where we make choices. God having done what he's done now does require a, okay, it's your move. It's now your move and I will help you. Giving thanks. Thankfulness is a choice you make to choose him and to not disregard something that may have fallen in your lap that you did not want, that you did not ask for, that you do not like. But in the proving, with a, when the heat is turned up, what do you choose? I choose him. This is a terrible situation. But I am a son or I am a daughter of the Most High God and I'm thankful that I'm never alone and he's given me his Holy Spirit. There's things we can do that are inclusive, that bring God in or push him out. There's things that we claim are ours that God would say, oh, don't, don't take that, don't keep it, don't claim it, don't own it. You don't want it. But as long as we seed our life with this, my thing, this is my thing, it's always been, I'm just, I don't take tests well, or I'm always afraid, or I'm, I'm always sick, I always get sick this time of year, we don't know the damage we do to our own life with the words that we use. And it's not just the words, it's because of the truth we've believed, because there is still things I need to see about Jesus. I haven't seen it yet. But it's a way because it's a discipline. It requires us to practice doing something I don't feel like doing. Mike Tyson's coach, as it, when he was a young boy, uh, early boxer, his co uh, coach's name was Cus D'Amato. If you say it fast, it sounds like Cus D'Amato. But it's not Cus D'Amato. Cus D'Amato taught him, this undisciplined boy, Mike Tyson, he said, if you don't have discipline, you don't have anything. Do what you hate like you love it. And he said he was an unguided youth. And if, if you know anything about his story, he was just a bull in a china shop. He was an undisciplined boy in Customato, took him in and took him under his wing and gave him a firm training. But part of that included, you have got to be disciplined. That's what a disciple is. A disciple of Christ is a person who has discipline, who does things when they don't feel like it. When I feel like moping, instead, I rejoy myself. When I am afraid, I direct myself back into the truth and the peace of who he is and what he's done. What if half your things are by your own doing? You know, when pe people will come and sometimes say, can you pray for me for my condition? And I'm like, 
do you want it? Is it yours? Because I have trouble. My prayer doesn't go very far with a person who wants to keep this thing and say, this is mine. And so what ends up happening for me as a minister, from a ministerial standpoint, I have to convince the person of what truth is, of what the truth is regarding their situation, or else they'll just keep holding this my thing, my Romans chapter 10, verse 10 says this, and I will give you this in closing. In, in many, many times, um, we use this passage to talk about being born again. If you believe that in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. And we often refer, that's the verse before this. We often view that verse as a salvation verse, meaning a born again verse, but it really isn't. It's a how to walk in salvation verse. And here's the principle. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses resulting in God doing something. That's what salvation is. Salvation is God doing what he does and he saves. So in our situations, what God is always looking for, what he's always listening for, is the same thing as uh, what he was looking for with the 12 spies who went out to spy out the promised land. What have you believed in your heart? What have you spoken with your mouth? Can I back it? Can I endorse it? Can I move on it? For 10 of the spies, he could not. He could not affirm that he had lied. God could not say, no, you're right, I lied. You can't really have the land. There are giants there. God could not go back on what he had said because he said, I'm bringing you into a great land and I'm going to give it to you. Only two of the disciples or only two of the spies took hold of that and said, he's going to give it to us. And they viewed the giants different. They viewed the armies different. They viewed the situation different because they viewed it through the truth of he's given it to us. This is what he's given it. And so for us also, this idea, this principle, this way of God. Some of God's ways are the way he is. Some of the ways of God are the ways things work. This is how you and I work. With the heart we believe, and sometimes we believe what's not very good. And we speak it with our mouth, and it doesn't result in salvation. But what God intends is that we believe his truth. And that results in a rightness in me, a rightness. God affirms you're right. And with the mouth I confess, and that brings God into action. And that's what we want. This isn't about religious positive confession. This is how I put myself in a position and a posture for God to back me, for God to be active in my life, and for me to be able to have a growing testimony of, look at what God did for me. Look at this miracle. Look at this answered prayer. Look at this healing. Look at whatever. The critical part in our life is that God is active, saving. And this is a way. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. This is the realm of where the people in this room and listening to this message are going to be required to put down a way, lay aside one of your ways, and pick up, take up God's way. I'm just not a person who just says any old thing now. And I don't just talk, call my situation truth. 
I understand the difference. True isn't necessarily truth. If I leave God out, it's no longer truth. It's only something that's a fact. It's not necessarily a promise. We always want God to be active. We want him listening to our voice and saying, I love that. She has followed me fully. He has followed me fully. Like Caleb and Joshua, I will bring her into the land. I will bring him into the land. I will give them the promise that they're laying hold of, that they're seeking. But it's going to require an approach on our part that says, I'm not claiming this thing. True doesn't mean it's truth. A crappy situation does not negate the fact that I have an awesome God mm -hmm. and that he has given me multiple amazing promises. That's what I'm laying hold of. That's what I'm planting as seed in my life. We all are in the position where we need God active in our life and we need to know why he is or why he isn't. And in most cases, it's because he cannot affirm what I am saying. He cannot back it because it is not truth. But when we embrace truth, watch out, baby, that's when he comes in. That's when he steps in and says, my servant Caleb, my servant Joshua have followed me fully and said what was right. Them I will bring into the land. So this is weighty. This is meaty. But even beyond that, it requires practice. Because we shoot ourselves in the foot. We plant terrible stuff in our lives. And if we don't understand, this is, that's the way God works. This is the way God works with believing and speaking. So what we want is to be people who are more involved. Uh, there's a great psalm. Can we have that last psalm of, I think it's 50? The scripture says, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. Everything God is doing is so that truth might be what fills you, so that what you naturally speak out of, because that's what the world needs. The world, needs to, the world doesn't need to know you, and you're basically like me. The world needs to understand your God is awesome. I want your God. Because we are actually lights. We have become something. We are intended to be something. A child of light. We're not to be meant, meant to be just a little bit better than the people who don't have God. This is how things work. This is a way that is being offered and now it needs to be worked in. And yes, it will be tested. We will all, including me, will be uh, tested this week, given little opportunities to see how do I judge something? How do I judge something that I would regard as true, but is it truth? And that's how God takes us along. He doesn't treat me like he treats you because all of us are different places. He treats you in accord with what you can handle, with where you're at, and me with what I know and where I'm at. So, I could have called this the proving ground because that's where we're at, always. But I hope to give, have given you the answer to the test before you get the test. All right? I'll leave you with that.